0: Hello and welcome to the ideal nutrition podcast my name is Aidan Muir and I'm here with my co-host Leah Heigl and this is episode 113 where we are going to be talking about how to lose weight without counting calories so as some background for this topic we obviously want to work from the same foundations as always for fat loss where we're talking about calories in and calories out whether or not we track them this is happening And every now and then I'll get a question on Instagram that goes along the lines of, is it possible to lose weight without counting calories? And there's no silly questions, but (laughs) (laughs) that one, like if you look around the world, I think the majority of people who lose weight do so without counting calories. So it's like, not only is it possible, it's actually what the majority of people do. So if it's possible to do, how do we go about doing it? And I think the short answer before we talk through all the nuances, like, We just need to set up situations that improve the likelihood of us consuming an appropriate amount of calories Mm -hmm. for our goals on a consistent basis, whether we're tracking or not.
1: Yeah. And a really good place to start is looking at both fiber and protein. So touching on those one at a time. So if we increase our general fiber intake, we're eating a lot of high fiber foods, things like your whole grains, legumes, fruit, you know, vegetables. If we're eating more of those foods and displacing potentially higher calorie foods, um, then we could look at a situation where our overall calorie intake is reduced by simply focusing on an increase in fiber-rich foods. And that'll kind of le- lead into food volume as well, which we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, going from, let's say, someone who is consistently eating 10 to 15 grams of fiber per day, if we go, okay, now we want you to consume... 30, 35 grams of fiber per day, that's probably going to drastically shift their food choices um, that is going to allow them to feel more satiated whilst on a lower amount of calories and perhaps have a deficit without tracking said calories. Something very similar with protein intake as well. So we know that protein intake per calorie is the most satiating macronutrient. So it's Um, More so than fats and carbs. So when we have quite a high protein intake, so if we're increasing our protein intake, we can get more satiety factor from our meals, even if calories are equivalent. Um, So potentially, again, reducing our overall intake so by changing fiber and protein and increasing them and having a decent amount of both especially if we're starting on a low baseline um that can lead to you just reducing your overall calorie intake with like i said without tracking
0: yeah and jumping on that like i i often like to use extreme examples that we can work backwards from and take some lessons from two of these extreme examples one is that i've seen quite a few people maintain Quiet, lean physiques, etc., by massively prioritizing protein and vegetables, and/or protein fruits and vegetables, and giving themselves like unlimited amounts of those. They just eat until they're full of those like two or three things. That way they feel like they're comfortably full, etc. But they almost always will stop short of over consuming calories because one, they're quite satiating, and two, the less exciting thing, but like you just get bored of eating if that's what you're (laughs) limited to. Um,
1: Not super highly palatable. (laughs) Yeah,
0: 100%. And that's one extreme example that's like, hey, that doesn't mean we should 100% restrict ourselves to that, but it's like we can take some lessons from that being like, hey, if we increase our intake of these things, it could make it easier to create a calorie deficit. The other example, which is basically the exact same thing, just taken to a stupidly extreme level is, I spoke about this on the last podcast, but one of Jose Antonio's studies, he got people to have 4.4 grams per kilogram of protein per day in free living conditions. So they were just like tracking in MyFitnessPal from memory and trying to get to that number. Um, when you do the math on I mean, it, I shouldn't do this on the top of my head, but like say you had like 300 grams of protein, there's four calories per gram, 300 times four like that's a decent amount of calories from protein a lot of these people would have been bigger than that so they would have had to have more protein than that you do the math and it's like hang on if they're eating even a decent amount of carbs or fat they're going to end up in this massive calorie surplus right on average participants in that study lost weight the diets that they had designed would should have been a decent calorie surplus i recall that if you read the conclusions, like Jose Antonio was kind of talking about being like, this is the thermic effect of protein that's causing this. And it's like, no, I think they just didn't eat enough food. Like, they just.
1: They were just so full because protein like, is so satiating.
0: Yeah, 100%. It was about an eight week study. And it's just like striving for that really high amount of protein caused that. Once again, I don't think anyone should do anything remotely close to that. But it's the same kind of concept of being like, that's an extreme example. Can we learn anything from that? If we raise our protein a little bit, it could make it easier to consume slightly fewer calories.
1: Yeah, especially if you're someone going from like maybe one gram of protein per kilo body weight and maybe taking it to 1.8 to 2, that's going to have a huge huge. impact on your satiety.
0: Yeah. Another thing on that line of thinking is this concept called volume eating, which is eating a larger volume of lower calorie foods. Theoretically, you could feel physically full while eating a lower amount of calories. Um, There's heaps and heaps of examples of this. On the topic of protein, let's use meat as an example, lean meat versus high fat meat. If you looked up the nutritional information of what we call lean mints or five-star mints compared to three-star mints, there's just over half the calories in five-star mints, which theoretically means you could have five-star mints and have just over half the calories. Or you can have nearly two times as much of that for the same amount of calories. Um, another great example here is vegetables. Vegetables are very low calorie. Nobody thinks of vegetables as filling, but per calorie, they're incredibly filling. I, it's another extreme example that I don't like, but like, I'm just going to use it. There was one study where they got people to have like, I think it was near, th- and this won't be in the show notes. This is just off the top of my head. but like, They got people to have like near three kilos of vegetables per day. It was,
1: oh my gosh. it was to test like
0: <laughs> cholesterol, like what happened to cholesterol. And like, fun fact, cholesterol just dropped off a cliff and we <laughs> had three kilos yeah. of vegetables per day. And that number is just so obscene that even their protein intake wasn't super low because like you see those like things, that's like broccoli and steak have the same protein per calorie kind of vibes. And it's like, if you, but like the per hundred grams is quite low protein.
1: Yeah, usually it's ridiculous yeah. to get a significant amount of protein from vegetables. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. And like the obvious thing, like, ibs symptoms like people would have had horrific symptoms (laughs) yeah i can imagine um but like yeah the point is coming back is like nobody thinks of vegetables as filling but if you had a lot of them they are quite filling and this comes back to a key point of being like imagine you've got i don't know like a muscle chef meal or something like that that is 450 grams 500 grams and you chucked 200 to 300 grams of vegetables with it It's going to be more filling now you've had that 800 gram meal than if you had that 500 gram meal, even though the calories would be like 50 higher or something. It wouldn't be a lot more calories.
1: Yeah. And like a really simple example I do like to use for my clients, just to highlight energy density versus food volume is just looking at 100 calories worth of let's say olive oil versus yep. broccoli yeah the volume of those two foods if we look at that um i wish i could give you a visual of a podcast but i can't um but looking at the volume of those two drastically different things so obviously focusing on those higher volume things to fill up your stomach is going to be helpful
0: yeah and one caveat that I always give these days when I ever talk about volume eating is just don't take it to an extreme, right? Like I, yes. I know I used that example of like three kilos of vegetables, but like mm. I also said that's extreme. That's probably dumb. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like this is only a tool that makes a lot of sense if you use it in these kind of examples we talked about, like the smaller scale stuff of being like yeah. add a bit more vegetables, choose like leaner protein sources, um, I like lower fat things. Like even another example is like lower fat dairy versus higher fat dairy mm-hmm. like some people would kind of criticize this kind but it's like when people are comparing full cream milk to skim milk for example and they're like oh yeah full cream milk fills me up more it's like well yeah if you did compare per cup like 250 ml of each per cream, volume yeah for the same amount of volume it should because it's 200 calories off the top of my head for a cup of full cream milk and it's 90 for a cup of skim milk if you compared per calorie you'd end up with well over two cups of skim milk in that comparison. Yes. Would it still be more filling? Like I'm not actually going to make an argument that skim milk with that large volume is going to be more filling. But when you look at it from that perspective, you can kind of see where I'm coming from being like, it's a fairer comparison under those
1: situations. does make sense. Yeah. yeah. Another thing we can look at is meal frequency. So, I find in the cases of wanting to create a calorie deficit without necessarily counting calories, we don't want to go on, I guess, either end of the spectrum in regards to meal frequency. I don't find either of them helpful. Um, Talking about, I guess, really high meal frequency is that well, if you're constantly grazing throughout the day and that's kind of meal frequency that you're utilizing, that's probably going to equal to a higher caloric intake generally. So you could look at decreasing meal frequency and that could help you create a calorie deficit, particularly in combination with things like increased fiber, protein intake, and volume eating. Um, Vice versa, I guess, like looking at really low meal frequency, that you could just struggle with hunger management at that point when you're really low frequency. So potentially looking at general meal frequency and, and changing that to be a more moderate frequency
0: yeah I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't really fully expect us to say the first part about that avoiding high frequency eating a lot of people hear this concept of like eat small frequent meals one thing that there's a few examples I used to kind of challenge that claim one is if you were trying to eat as many calories as you could over the next 24 hours how often would you eat and the answer is as often as you can as <laughs> often
1: as you can yeah because yes. you
0: can get more in if you yeah. do that Um the second one is a bariatric surgery example. I know somebody who had had bariatric surgery and was limited to the equivalent of about one cup to one and a half cups of food in a single sitting. He was about 140 kilos and he had some like mental health stuff go on. He served in the army, had PTSD. He had a fall and it hurt his hip and had some depression after that. And he gained 10 kilos real quick, I think it's like five weeks or something like that. Mathematically, to physically do that, he had to have been eating over three thousand calories per day. But just go back to the concept of like his stomach was smaller; it had part of it had been chopped out with the bariatric surgery. How could he eat over three thousand calories per day? And I don't, I don't say that from a judgmental place. I mean, like from a logistical challenges. How did he get there? There's there's two ways and two tools that he he used to get there, and that was liquid calories, drinking mm-hmm. frequently. Um, up and go energize and a few other things nothing inherently wrong with that and then snacking just around the clock once again nothing was wrong with his individual snacks he had three bananas a day he had two or three muesli bars per day he had two or three up and go energizers per day he didn't have any like solid meals or anything like that but it was just like two or three of each of his like common relatively healthy snacks in addition to some unhealthy quote unquote type of foods and I reflect on that story so much because I'm like, damn, if this guy could get over 3,000 calories per day with the limitations that he had, what about the average person who doesn't have those limitations? Like if you're eating 10 times per day, it's hard to not overconsume calories in a lot of cases. And then even mathematically, if you were aiming for like, as an example, 1,600 to 2,000 calories and you're eating 10 times a day as an example, each occasion would have to be under an average of 200 calories it had to be quite small for it to be a thing
1: so i usually find with clients that are aiming for a calorie deficit but are eating really really frequently so maybe looking at six at six to seven times per day they're usually getting to the end of those eating occasions and just never feeling satiated so they've never gotten to the point of feeling like oh i feel good i feel done um, and i think that can be counterintuitive to creating a calorie deficit if you're never, if you're having a meal and you're never really feeling full or satiated, like you're yeah. probably going to end up eating more.
0: Yeah. The next one is adjusting things based on your hunger. And this is a topic that I'm pretty passionate about and largely just because I think it's a bit of a confusing topic because there's in one camp, there's people who just like ignore hunger robots. They just eat when the, the plan tells them to eat kind of thing. And at the other intersection, there's people who are of the philosophy that our body inherently knows the exact right amount of food for us to eat if we just eat solely intuitively we'll eat the right amount um when we have specific physique goals the we probably can't truly just listen to our body partly because a common response to being in a calorie deficit is an increase in hunger Mm -hmm. a common response to being in a calorie surplus is a decrease in hunger if we listen to our body it will like even like i think if we look at the bodybuilding world as an example if somebody's like deep in an off season they're trying to gain size if they just stopped when their body told them to get to stop, they would stop gaining size in some cases. Not every case, right? But some cases. And I think you can do a little bit of both. You can pay attention to your hunger. And if your body's telling you, you're really, really full or you're really, really hungry, it probably makes sense to listen to that to a certain degree. Um, but I've ran section, like something that I literally implement in my own life is like if I was trying to be in a calorie surplus, the moment a bit of hunger comes on, I just eat.
1: Just eat, yeah.
0: Or even if I'm not in a calorie surplus, if I'm in a high training phase or anything like that, and I know that I haven't been eating enough, then that's what I do, right? Um, And if I got into a situation where I know I haven't been eating enough because of the training or whatever, and I'm not hungry, I'd still eat a little bit more (laughs) than that. Vice versa though, in a calorie deficit, like getting lean is something that naturally comes a lot easier to me. I still get a little bit hungry and that's kind of my sign. Like if I'm not tracking, so sometimes I track, sometimes I don't, if I'm looking to get leaner, I just wait until hunger hits. And if I'm like, watching the rate of progress and it slows down or anything like that i'm like okay i'll just move the needle a little bit i'll wait to get like a little bit of hunger yes. a little bit more yeah. and it's like i'm not sitting there being like out of 10 how how much is this hunger but it is actually paying attention to it being like maybe i should get to like a five out of ten and the thing i reflect on with a lot of people who might say that they're like oh maybe particularly if somebody's coming from like a disordered eating background and everything like that and being like okay, i need to like truly like eat whenever I get hungry or anything like that which is often a good thing one thing that I say in terms of like what is a healthy relationship and food is in that scenario I think back to when I was a child and it was like 4 p.m and I was telling my, my mom I'm hungry yeah. <laughs> and she's like Eva wait until dinner or have a piece of fruit. And I'm like, well, I'm not that Classic. hungry. Like, yeah. I'm not hungry enough for a piece of fruit. And I'm like, that's the hunger that I, I t- kind of think of. Cause like once we become adults, we have decent incomes. We never have to go without eating. Mm. We can go years without experiencing any hunger. And that's where I'm like going back to a healthy relationship with food. I'd go back to that childhood kind of memory and being like, that's an okay amount of hunger. Like that's completely fine. That's natural. Yeah. That's normal.
1: Yeah. And I think like, listening to your body in this regard is is super important because you know if like if you're not feeling any hunger ever for a long period of time I'd say you're probably not in a calorie deficit especially if you, you combine that with not seeing a shift in the scale like we would expect some hunger in a deficit so I guess like for me when I'm when i'm dieting i know the specific amount of hunger i'm looking yeah. for kind of like yeah. you um and i'm like yep that's the sweet spot with all my other habits i know i'm in a deficit right now um so listening to that can be a good cue yeah. um other strategies to minimize overeating um so a few things here so how frequently should we include relaxed meals so if you're someone who is including them currently three four five times a week you're kind of going out for social meals eating whatever you want maybe more hyper palatable um discretionary foods frequently okay maybe you just put a limit on that for a lot of my clients when we're heading into a calorie deficit we'll go okay just limit that to once or twice a week um and just that in itself can be a way to minimize overeating a second tip that again i use all the time is mindful eating so when you are having a meal or a snack, being very mindful about how you're doing it. So eating slow, chewing well, putting your cutlery down in between bites um, and just taking the time to enjoy that meal slowly because that does increase the satiety factor than if we're like mindlessly eating in front of the TV. And we do have research to suggest that.
0: Yeah. And I, I shared this on one of our very early podcasts. But there's a study from, I believe it's from Chris Gardner from Stanford, where they compared high-carb diets to low-carb diets, 600-something participants over the course of one year. And they found that high-carb versus low-carb, in the real world, so these people were choosing what they ate, etc. Over the course of a year, people got, on average, very similar results, but it was obviously quite skewed because as a real-world study, people could stick to it stricter, less strict, etc. cetera. Um, the people who on average lost over 20 kilos, or the people who, sorry, not on average, the people who lost over 20 kilos, cause there's some people who lost significantly less, average was a lot lower. The people who lost over 20 kilos, when they were doing the exit interview people, they all asked like, what did you think was the key component for you out of this? And me reading that study, I instantly thought people were going to latch onto the high carb versus low carb. Cause that's just like what we see, what we hear. Um, almost every single one who lost over 20 years was like mindful eating was the key for me. Like yes. I, I used to eat in front of the TV or in a rush or while working. And now like, I like set a space for me to eat and eat slowly and pay attention to the pace, to the taste, texture, smell, all those things. And that has always stuck with me. Cause I'm like, I don't think mindful eating by itself is the key to all of this. But damn, if like that was something that all of them were identifying and they were the ones who quote unquote, like if they were the ones who like, Lost the most weight out of that study, and that was what they were all pointing to. I'm not going to ignore that, like, that's no, it's a factor.
1: really, really good tool. Um, yeah. I actually like to combine mindful eating as a part of my clients' relaxed meals, as like, there's no rules on your relaxed meals other than you have to eat it mindfully. Yeah. And the clients that actually do that eat significantly less on their relaxed meals than people that just go balls to the wall on their meal and they tend to, like, you know, they're the ones that rack up like 2000 calories in one meal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like with this concept of like, I guess we'll talk about like flexible versus rigid approaches being like how rigid, how flexible, this is just a huge topic by itself. I don't know if we've got enough time for this, but, um, how flexible should people be? I think a very simple thing is most people should have at least some level of flexibility. I pretty much never see people succeed with this stuff long-term if they don't have some level of flexibility. A common question I actually ask a lot of clients <clears throat> at the start, when I first work with them is, can you name two people, you know, who never have added sugar ever? I always say two because like every now and then one person will whip out, they're like, my uncle's a Navy SEAL. <laughs> so <I'm> like, okay. <laughs> like that
1: robot person yeah. that, yeah. And I've had a few people
0: say that, so I'm like, don't ruin my line here. <laughs> like, <laughs> so every, like over the last like two years or so, I've always just been like, do you know two? And like nobody so far, maybe somebody listening to this, I don't know, but like none of my clients so far have known two people who do that. And the reason why I asked that question is if we can't name two people, it's a silly pursuit. Like we like, it's, it's not something worth pursuing. And then if somebody did know multiple people or whatever, I would kind of be like, are they happy? Like, do they they enjoy food? Like, do they have a good relationship with food? Once again, like, so we know some level of flexibility is important. Can you go too far? I think so. Like, I think, like, statistically speaking, a lot of people who have success maintaining weight loss are quite routine oriented. They do a lot of stuff similarly. They have a large percentage of their meals are cooked at home on average. That doesn't mean every single person... Um, they often have structure with their meals. Like they have like protein, vegetables, etc. Um, there's a lot of things that are very routine and I'm not going to say rigid, but like it is routine oriented and putting a lot of things in their favor. But we can be quite flexible while achieving our goals as well. And I think combining some of both of those aspects, like the rigid thing, like planning your meals and all of those things yep. are probably a good thing. Um, I don't want to say having some rules, but having some habits that you do relatively consistently. Guidelines. Like. Guidelines. I think that stuff just from what I have seen consistently improves outcomes.
1: Another thing to kind of touch on as well, looking at creating a calorie deficit whilst not tracking calories is looking at liquid calories versus solid foods. Um, So we do know that liquid calories obviously way easier to consume. They're just less satiating. Um, So it's, it's quite common for us to have a meal and have a drink alongside that if that was, 300 mils of chocolate milk or 300 mils of water we're gonna have the same kind of satiety factor from that it's not really going to move the needle in satiety a lot but it is going to change the calorie content of that meal a lot so when we're trying to create a calorie deficit without tracking a good guideline could be that you just really reduce the amount of liquid calories coming in so if you're like a big juice person or something usually like that is something you could look to replace with a no calorie option or just water.
0: And then the final thing is just general movement and formal exercise. Some of our thoughts on that With general movement. Like there's a big reason why so many people are big on increasing daily steps and just yep. general movement. Um, a stat I like to chuck out there. I'm not overly calorie focused with this stuff, but I think it's interesting just to think about it, is standing probably burns about 1.2 times the amount of calories that sitting does walking probably about 1.3 times once you get up to like jogging or whatever we're looking at like 1.7 like lifting we're probably around 1.5 1.6 once you factor in like um, rest between sets etc and then and like I don't want to butcher those numbers because like the faster you run for example the higher that gets like there's a bunch of things that go on but I'm just going to touch on the standing walking etc you can stand and walk for a very long time people are on their feet all day at work like If that's an extra 1.3 times the amount of calories you burn over an eight hour period, it adds up massively. So like general activity, like that kind of stuff matters. And then formal exercise, this isn't about the weight loss thing. Actually, one thing I should touch on very quickly on this is like typically adding formal exercise doesn't really help weight loss that much directly. There's many explanations for that. One is that often it increases intake of energy. Like people just get hungry and they wanna eat more. Another thing is this kind of like constrained energy expansion model, which is like if you increase your exercise energy expenditure, it often drops elsewhere, whether that's due to you being like just moving less for the rest of the day or due to some actual decreases in functions of the body. But one thing we often see is if there's like a 12 week study, people go from not exercising to exercising like three times a week. Like sometimes we see like people lose like one kilo over the course of the study. I'm like, I guarantee you'd expect everybody entering that city would have expected more. (laughs) Yes. Um, That's just solely looking at scale weight, not necessarily fat loss. Fat loss numbers would be significantly better. But even though I'm like downplaying the effect on on weight loss solely, there's so many other benefits. There's so, so many other benefits. I'm huge on that. But even just long-term weight management stuff, there's even more benefits in terms of it dramatically improves the likelihood of maintaining weight loss if people exercise on a regular basis.
1: So a little bit of a summary to to finish up. If you're looking to lose weight, but not looking to count calories, some of the easy things you can do, are look to increase fiber, eat a high amount of protein. So even kind of that 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilo body weight, that's gonna keep you a lot more satiated and aiming for that 25, 30 plus grams of fiber focusing on volume eating, so eating more lower energy foods that have a high amount of volume, looking at your meal frequency, is it too frequent? Is, there, is it too infrequent? Is there something that can be changed to kind of better manage that? Um, and looking at other things around mindful eating, how many relaxed meals you're having and how frequently, reducing liquid calories, and then adding in some possibly general movement and formal exercise.
0: This has been episode 113 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. As always, if you could please leave a rating and a review, that would be massively appreciated.